Consequences podcast with Paul McNulty, Sean McCreevy, and special guest Mike Ferreri. Welcome everyone to the podcast where today we're looking at the the interesting, the fascinating work of Godly and Cream in the 80s. I'm here in Ulster, Paul's in Liverpool, and we're absolutely thrilled to welcome all the way from sunny California, our good friend, Mike Ferreri. Welcome, Mike. Thank you very much. Pleasure to be here. Yeah, it's a real pleasure for us to, to, to have you with us. And um, we'd love to hear about where you started dipping your toe into the Godly and Cream universe. Where did you first come in? You know, I kind of backed into 10CC. Um, the first song I heard was uh, The Things We Do For Love, mm. oddly enough. So I bought Deceptive Benz, which I think is a great album. Yeah. And I really dug it. I thought, well, I got to hear more from these guys. And uh, I think Sheet Music was the next album I bought. <laughs> and that was it. You know, yeah. uh, I, start, I, I immediately gravitated toward Godly and Cream's tunes. I thought, there's nothing like this. I've never heard anything like this. Yeah. And then I just couldn't get my hands on the rest of their stuff fast enough. And uh, that's where I am today. I think I have everything. Yeah, no, absolutely. Sheet Music was one of the ones that, that kind of made me a super fan. But I think really it was Consequences where, where I came in. I, I heard Consequences before I even heard Sheet Music. Wow. Yeah. And... Um, and where do you stand on the, the 70s Godly and Cream stuff, Mike? I mean, obviously, that seems a long time ago in podcast terms. Um, where do you stand on that stuff? I, 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 how do I say this? I am such a Godly and Cream fanatic that they can't really do wrong by me, even though there are some things that are, <laughs> you know, I like less than uh, others. Yes. But, uh, I mean, L, the album L is as important to me as sergeant pepper or anything like that and i don't mean i mean it's on equal terms for me um freeze frame uh consequences what else can i say I, i'm like you if i hear even a little snippet of it i'm automatically in a great mood and i want to hear more you know so mm -hmm. wow that is fighting talk <laughs> Mike, it's great to hear that the apocalypse can put you in a great mood because that's <laughs> consequences uh, certainly does that, that does that for you. But um, good to hear you're such a massive fan. Yeah, wonderful. And, and of course, Mike, that that's the very reason uh, that we've asked you to, to join us tonight. Apart from the fact that, can we just make a quick confession? Uh, both yes. both Paul and I had a bit of a man crush on you after you you sent that little snippet <laughs> on the on the consequences wow. review uh, episode that we put out months ago, and we thought, what a voice! I mean, apart from the fact that you you know you are a godly and cream aficionado, marvelous. We just had to hear more of your voice. So this is oh, us. This is extremely self indulgent on our part. Well, that was 30 <laughs> seconds long, I think. I just... yeah, or less. We timed oh, it. Oh, yeah, or less, yes. Yeah. Well, uh, that's that's flattering. Yeah. That makes me feel very good. So it's an absolute, so. it's an absolute thrill, Mike, and, and thank you. And I know that, Paul, you're a massive fan of the first piece of music that, that Kevin Lowell put out after Freeze Frame, aren't you? 
I certainly am. Uh, dare I say for me, it's it's slightly all downhill from Wide Boy, which I think is, uh, consequences aside, possibly their best ever song. I think it's a fantastic single and uh, really disappointed that it, that it wasn't a hit because I think it's ultra commercial and it's got the the drive and mm. vigor of something like the Dean and I from where from from where I stand. Mm. It's a tremendously exciting song Bef before you even factor in the video and perhaps we'll talk about that in a minute but uh, yeah I absolutely, I absolutely love it it is a great single isn't it Mike what, what, what are your yeah, thoughts yeah. Uh, I agree and um, I was going to say right away the video at the time was so way ahead of its time mm. that it was just uh, thrilling to watch but the song yes white boys you know uh, I love all that stuff though all of it yeah, it's a driving um, track, isn't it? It, 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 and it is. hits you straight away. It doesn't waste any time, does it? Getting you straight hooked into the brass lines and everything. Oh, it's brutally good. It's brutally good. Everybody knows when the sewer overflows He'll be the one that always comes up smelling like a rose in the GNC canon, it's it's got a unique sound. Mm. It's coming. It's got a new wave feel. Yes. Um, but it sounds organically done. I mean, Lowell it must be Lowell playing the guitars and basses. I think it's you know apart from apart from the sax, I guess it's an in-house production, as it were. And Lowell's bass playing is really good and quite different to what he's done before. And and the guitars. But don't take up don't take up a lot of space. That they're, they're trebly, they're slightly less finessed, if you like. Uh, the, the whole vibe I'm getting from the track is is that it's been energised by the recent music scene, but not yes. in a pandering way. Not in a pandering way. The white boy sitting at the back row, hanging with his girlfriend, going to a go go. White boy really going nowhere. Victim of the sixties. Yeah, it's 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 great, you know, uh, a fantastic care vocal as as you know we almost take for granted, but mm. you shouldn't. Um, you know, biting lyrics. I discovered Wide Boy. I think now was it on? There was a there was a in when I was at Loughborough University. There was a, a record library there. There was lots of odds and ends, and there was perhaps a twelve inch of might have been Snack Attack with um, both. Uh, Englishman in New York and Wide Boy on, on the B it. side. That's it. I've got it in front of me. I've got the 12 inch single you have, here. Have you? Right. Yeah, and it's, it's got a wonderful cover. It's got right. a 50s style uh, TV dinners adverts in a kind of yes, faded, saturated 50s colours. And you're absolutely right. Yeah. Snack Attack extended version on, on the A side, and then Englishman in New York retitled as Strange Apparatus on, oh, yes. on the B side. Right. And, then, and then Wide Boy, of course. But yeah. I, d I didn't fall in love with the track until I saw the video. That, okay. that was what, what really captured my imagination. And I, like you were saying, Mike, ast astounding uh, innovation. W once again, it was a kind of consequences level of, of ingenuity, wasn't it, to create those fantastic transitions? I couldn't agree more. Um, I also felt like the song was okay. It was great. It's, it's got lean cream. But then when I saw the video... It just exploded for me. Yeah. How fantastic. Mm. Uh, which also became, I think, uh, either a Levi's jeans commercial or a Benson and Hedges. I don't really remember exactly. Yeah, that's right. But, it was the Levi's advert uh, that they, where they kind of combined 
the wide boy ideas and some of the, the elements of Englishman in New York's video. Fantastic, uh, fantastic concept. And we, um, you know, obviously we were lucky enough to, to spend all that time with, with Kev in Dublin. Oh boy. And yeah. we, you know, we had to mention the wide boy video. And he was just saying how, how long, physically, how long it took to create those transitions where he and Lol would be bursting through these these paper printouts of the previous right, frame. Right, they didn't have they didn't have all the tricks. No, of course uh, they know, didn't. All the, all the shortcuts. No. So everything they did. Uh, and and Lowell Cream, if I may say this, is such an outstanding musician. What a mm. pair you have, though. I think Kevin Godley is one of the most. Uh, I don't want to say underrated. He's just unrecognized great voices mm. in pop music history to me. Just flawless. Oh, great. His singing is fantastic. <laughs> and Lil Cream is just, wow, it's, there's nothing he can't do. Yeah. You know? Yeah. Uh, and and he's incredibly modest about it. I mean, we, we'll, we, Paul and I have waxed lyrical, haven't we, for months now about oh, yeah. about Lowell's amazing musicianship, piano, gizmo, you name it. Um, but but very self-effacing. Um, but with with Wide Boy, I, uh, we Kevin was talking about the these transitions, all right? And um, earlier on, I shared with you a little snippet of of a music video that I helped some students with at the college I was teaching with years ago. And uh, I persuaded them to have a go at a wide boy transition. I'd show them the video and they were actually really wowed by it. And of course it was really easy for us. We just used a piece of green paper that the, the singer would literally burst through and rip apart. And it was very easy for us to superimpose the previous frame onto that paper. Wow, Job I see. done. Okay. Godly and Cream had to go into the studio, um, create a freeze frame from their from their video, and then take it physically take it to the printers, who'd then probably spend a couple of days printing it out in an enormous size, and then at the next shoot, physically burst through that piece of paper. That's a ridiculously <laughs> convoluted process, isn't it? Yes, it's but so like it's. It's so labour-intensive, isn't it? <laughs> I think I think it explains. There are moments in that video which are so stunning, but but it, it can't it can't be kept up. There's only a handful of yes. of transitions like that in the video, but they're so stunning. They sort of the the, the imprint lasts for the rest of the film. Yes. But I guess they they simply didn't have the budget to do the whole thing like that, did they? I think. Yeah, uh, but, I, I agreed. Agreed. But yeah, a, a great track, and I love I love the fact that they sound like a band on it. And it's uh -huh. not it's not really until Goodbye Blue Sky that they they actually do sound like a band. Oh, I love that album. Yeah, well, we'll, we'll have plenty <laughs> uh, yeah, of opportunity to talk about that. We'll get to, I, I we'll suspect get to that we I suspect that Paul and I like it slightly less than you, Mike. But well. uh, we can't wait for the discussion. White boy, really going nowhere. I thought it would only be the decent thing to do. Um, really, a, a glaring omission from, and this is from months ago, Paul, now, when we were talking about L and Freeze Frame, I completely mm. forgot about the B-side to Englishman in New York. Right. There's a long so silence there. Running. Yes, silent, si running. silent running, absolutely. Uh, learning to harmonize. Ah. Learning to harmonize. 
looking um, at my now. Was hang on now, Sean? Wasn't this actually a hidden track on the vinyl? No, Paul, this, you didn't know. Freeze frame. <laughs> no, I know. I know. I, I'm quite mercenary, Mike. I, I, you know, I sort of very. I've always been like this. I sort of yeah, m must own some albums, but others I just around people's houses and listen to them. Yeah, yeah, okay. You cheapskate. So, so Spotify is just like the best invention ever in the history of the world. <laughs> you see, I, I don't derive any, I don't derive any listening pleasure from Spotify at all. Uh, it's brilliant, yeah, brilliant for research. Like, for example, yeah. um, I don't own, uh, I don't own Graham's uh, first album, and so I had, I had to resort to Spotify for that one. Um, yeah. But everything else, I mean, I'm not like you, Paul. I, I have to have these things. I have yeah. to own literally all the albums. And I've got everything 10cc have done apart from Mirror Mirror, uh, only because it's just so expensive. But every, mm -hmm. everything else, you know, I, I, my, my life doesn't feel complete um, if I don't <laughs> actually own them. Looking at Freeze Frame, uh, there's right. definitely not a hidden track on the vinyl. I wonder if it was from the original CD release. Oh, could be. Because how could there be a hidden track in the middle of a vinyl album? It they doesn't can't. make sense, does they it? They can't, no, but um, no, not at all. Um, surely it was on the CD reissue as a bonus track. I guess it must have been. I mean, whatever's happened, it, it turns up on Body of Work, on, on that kind of mop-up disc five. Right, okay. Yeah, and I... Um, I actually think it's a it's a decent track actually, and uh, notable perhaps only because it seems to be Lowell's last proper vocal. Yes, I think you're right because he did he did mug shots, um, so it's sort of. Uh, about the same time as that, I suppose, isn't it? Or, or, yeah. But and that's it. That's a, that's the last we hear of, of Lol fronting a song. Yes, I know. A, a sad loss. Oh, you, you bet. Yeah. Hmm. But but not a bad track, and and it's sort of it's an orthodox little song, uh, quite repetitive. But I do love Lol's guitar playing on this one. It's very bright, very crystalline, and uh, and very very nice indeed. I think. But uh, certainly not one to get excited about, I don't think. But Paul, what can you what can you tell us about that that very odd little thing that came out between Freeze Frame and Ismism, I believe, Submarine, which I think was an A side, wasn't it? It was an A-side. It, it's an odd track. It sounds like a transition track uh, between Freeze Frame and Ismism, which makes sense because yeah. it's got quite a lot of synthy stuff. But the backbeat sounds like real drums and a real rhythm track. Uh, and it's quite a nice little reggae song. And I use the word song advisedly because mm. it does have A, B and C sections, which moving forward into... Tourismism, we kind of lose yeah. largely. Um, 
Yeah, it's quite good. It's the chronology's uncertain, isn't it? Because this A side is instrumental from September '80, but then the B side of Under Your Thumb is a song called Power Behind the Throne, which is essentially the same track. Yeah. And and having listened to it recently, it is the same track with with a vocal from Kev. She's the power Yes, um, oh, very odd, isn't it, that they would both come out um, in a very short space of time, um, and with yeah, with the vocal version kind of uh, just kind of creeping in on a B-side. It's an odd, an odd decision. I wonder if which is chicken and which is egg. Do you think it started life as an instrumental and then and then Kev put the vocals on top, or do you think it was a vocal song that had the vocals stripped for the A-side? I, I really don't know. Um, I can see why they didn't include it on Ismism because it doesn't really fit with the album, even though it's you know one of the more realised songs. It's got one great one-liner in it: um, "Cold feet in the bedroom, cold war in the bed," uh, which mm. is a terrific, terrific lyric. But mm. the rest of it is a little bit obscure lyrically. Um, I do like it, but uh, uh, you know, on balance, I would probably prefer it to be on Ismism. But I can see why they left it off. Yes, yes, I'm with you. I, I find it an interesting little curio, actually. I like the fact you've got a kind of Hank Marvin guitar over a sort of dub reggae backing. And there's these nice sort of squelchy synth arpeggios as well, which I think are really quite nice. And to my ears, Paul, it sounds like real drums on this one, which yeah. which suggests that it, it might have been um, a, a session uh, engineered by Nigel Gray down at Surrey Sound. Yeah, it's got to be a Surrey sound re- recording to which then maybe they returned, worked on, and and then partially discarded, if you like. That's what it sounds like to me. Yes, yes, I, I agree. So it's definitely a, an interesting little addition to the canon. Again, it's not gonna it's not gonna set Surrey on fire, is it? But uh, quite pleasant. <laughs> the uh, the B side though is 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 absolutely mad. Any of you familiar with Marciano? Uh, have a confession to make. Tried to find it last night on the internet and, and gave up after about half an hour. So no, <laughs> haven't heard it. Haven't heard it for thirty-five years. So I'll let you and Mike take the lead on this. Okay. One. And Mike, your your silence there suggests that you haven't you haven't heard Marciano. <laughs> yeah, it kind of reminds me this one of of Love Bombs, which we'll talk about um, a, a little bit later. It's got that kind of manic drum machine and tom-tom percussion. It's very sort of freeze-framey in a sense. It's got that kind of dark sound. And I suggest it, it might have been another of those freeze-frame outtakes because it doesn't quite sound like Lowell's home studio um, with the isms and setting sections. But it is very monotonous. It, the production's a bit kind of queasy is the best word I can think of. Uh, and it has some, some nice synth sounds. It reminds me a little bit of the introduction to Ghostbusters, uh, those spooky synths. <laughs> and, and that, right. But that really is about the most interesting thing I can say about it. <laughs> 
Yeah, sometimes a throwaway is just a throwaway. <laughs> The next year, so we, we, in 1980 with, with Wide Boy, that little kind of um, spectacular hiatus between Freeze Frame and the next album. And of course, as Kev was saying to us, they went into a phase of thinking themselves not as, as musicians, but as video directors. Mm-hmm. And it was almost as if Ismism was something that they knocked off in a week off. Um, and as Kev said to us, they didn't think of themselves as musicians anymore, which I know, Paul, you, you were quite upset about, weren't you, at the time? <laughs> well, it was it was later on. Uh, in 1990, I think it was when the... Is it One World, One Voice? Is that the time? Am I getting the yes, title correct? Yes, that's right, yeah, yeah. Uh, one of the first things Kevin said on camera on that documentary was, I used to be a musician. <laughs> And uh, and like I, I told him this, it coloured the whole experience of that project for me. Because what the hell is he talking about? You know, yeah, he's, he's amongst he's he's amongst some other stellar musicians. Uh, granted, but yeah. you know, there's 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 no one any better than him or Lol. Uh, and and he seemed to have abdicated that that part of his career, which which upset me. But yeah. I, I don't know whether they, yeah, maybe they did feel that as early as um, as early as eighty one. I don't know for sure. Yeah, for me, it feels like ismism is something that they literally knocked off, uh, you know, during the lunch break. It's, dare I say it, the, the polar opposite of consequences. I yes, I disagree I, with that. Uh. I, I found ismism really disappointing. Um, let's just backtrack a bit, because um, the, the, the single... Um, under your thumb trailed the album did it not i believe it did i can't remember i certainly heard under the, under your thumb long before i heard the album and and i loved that well well for one thing um i'd only become a fan of the 10cc guys um, 79 into 80 so this was the first hit that they'd ever had you know because uh, eric and graham suddenly had stopped having hits and yeah. it was a, a real a real thrill when uh, uh, when that single got in the charts and it was going to be on top of the pops. And I think it was like, if I'm remembering this correctly, it was like the week before I went to university and um, I, I cycled up to my friend's house to watch top of the pops because Kevin Lowell were going to be on it. And it was, it was, it was that big a deal, you know, I was standing in the station being pounded by the rain. So I chose the last compartment of a stationary train it was a thrill and that and that was you know a terrific song but when i heard the album i was really disappointed because as you say sean it sounded like it had all been knocked off really quickly and it mm. sounded it sounded kind of cheap literally cheap compared with the, the the wonderful attention to detail that they'd lavished i'm with you this is an album that is very much DIY. It, as we know, it's recorded in Lowell's home studio. The uh, is it Limehouse? Is that right? The name of the studio in his house. Oh, um, I didn't. I didn't know he had the name. Yeah, oh. a couple of the albums sort of uh, credit Limehouse as, as the as the venue for recording, and okay. um, uh, and of course Lowell's gone on record to say that they basically bought an old sixteen track analog machine and desk, and and did 
all the recording in this tiny, tiny room. And Kevin, uh, again, has, has explained to us that there wasn't enough room for a drum kit. So they were kind of almost forced into this kind of lo-fi simplicity where they'd have to rely on drum machines and fairly basic rudimentary recording equipment. LOL had never engineered before, so they were very new to that whole process. It was like a, a new adventure to them. Mike, do, do you think that it was a, a successful first venture? I, I really like ism-ism, um, and I did right off the bat. Uh, uh, like, snack attack, excellent. Under mm. your thumb, excellent. Joey's camel, kind of a throwaway. <laughs> the problem, throwaway. Um, ready for Ralph, yeah. <laughs> Wedding bells. Yeah, we'll, we'll, we'll uh, talk about that a bit later, I think. Yeah. Uh, Lonnie, you know, with the JFK uh, assassination tie-in, just... I thought it was extraordinary, and I still listen to that mm. from time to time. I just put it on, let it roll. So I, I'm very fond of that album. Yeah, I, I must admit that I am too. I, I would much rather be with Ismism than without it. Uh, Correct. And even though I think it's a it's a kind of game of two halves, I think you've got some extraordinarily good singles on it. Under your thumb, Paul, I think is possibly. Possibly Godly and Cream's best song of, of, of the 80s. I think it's their best single. There's something beautiful and haunting about it. It's, it's, yeah, it's, it's beautifully structured. I was listening to it today and one thing struck me. On the second approach to the chorus, the, um, that section is extended. You know, she stuck out ahead, the, stuck her head out the window and screamed and screamed. She yes. screamed. So it's kind of delayed gratification yeah, 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 before yeah. the chorus. I love now, that. That's important. It's important though, because then the, for the, out of the third verse, uh, you go straight into, um, underneath the picture. It said, don't want to be under your thumb forever. And that contrast, I think, cause that's really the, the, the key moment of the song yeah. where the two half of the story come together. Mm. And I love the way they contract it back into a, you know, a, a direct approach to the chorus. It's fantastic piece of songwriting and arranging. There's so many little touches like that in the song. Um, yeah, it's 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 a brilliant it's a brilliant song. And it's it wonderful. Really... Yeah, 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 totally. And and the, it's such a strange lyric. It's it's almost taken me forty years to kind of get inside it. Uh, right. It, it, it always drew me in and fascinated me. Uh, I I really like the eeriness and the, the kind of spookiness of of, of this this dead woman who he's just encountered coming back as a dead person in the in the newspaper story. Uh, yeah. It takes on a whole kind of otherworldly, surreal quality, doesn't it? And I think that's magnetic. And it chilled me to the bone Woman throws herself from speeding train Identity unknown Yeah, it's got a, it could be an episode of The Twilight Zone yes. or even the plot of an X-Files episode or something like totally, that. Totally, totally. Yeah, it's brilliant. And uh, Kevin was so thrilled when it was a hit, and he told us that they were on the set of, I think, the Toya Wilcox video, Paul? 
Yeah, Thunder they, in the Mountain. That's yeah. it. And they got news of, of the fact that Under Your Thumb had crept into the top 50, I think. And they yeah. were they were so gobsmacked. And he, he said, we're video directors now. And suddenly <laughs> we've got a hit. They just weren't expecting it. Um, wonderful record. And, and Kev was saying how, how much he was inspired by Lowell's backing track. They were pretty much, I think, working as separate entities, weren't they, on this record, where Lola go away and, and build up these tracks using drum machine, bass, a bit of guitar and some synths. And then mm. he'd, he'd present them to Kev and, and Kev would treat them in whatever way he felt he was inspired to. Yeah, Ke- Kevin described it as the track that Lol had pr- produced as being a manic sounding thing. Yes. Which, yeah, if you hear, if you think of the track in isolation, um, it it doesn't necessarily have the um, completed melody, you know, wouldn't necessarily point in that direction. No. That's one of the so great about it because Kev's got a quite a, a, um, a lolloping, uh, you know, slow, rather majestic melody, which one presumes he came up with. Yeah, and the, the yeah the combination is is uh, is dynamite really. That's right, and, and and the drum machine create it kind of evokes the the train going over the tracks, doesn't it? Yeah, on the outro, there's actually some train noises, probably vocalese by Kevin. Have you spotted that? And the I think there's some there's some kind of vocal on there wonder if you picked that up michael i did i actually i'm getting a little um lost in the two of you like i'm just listening to another podcast <laughs> so hey come on I'm, Mike. So, <laughs> I'm so enthralled with with uh your, your comments that i'm just kind of sitting back listening like uh, oh i love this podcast this one's really good <laughs> wait a minute i'm supposed to be part of this yeah. okay that's right yeah come um, on come on back in the checks the checks in the post mike <laughs> I, I just thought the song was kind of unusual. I was really surprised that it took off because it's it's odd, you know the uh, yeah. the, the speed of it. But to me, you know, it's hypnotic, mm. and and I absolutely love it. But uh, I, I really would rather hear what you guys are saying. No, so we, we'd rather hear what you're saying, Mike. So no, that's, how about that's that? Pretty much, um, I think that there are real gems on Ismism, and that's one of them. Yeah, um, I I really like the second single actually. I should have told you all I wanted was to have some fun. Wedding bells, mm. wedding bells. Oh, absolutely! What a what a video too. <laughs> With, With Lowell uh, looking Lowell. very embarrassed. Yes, Lowell looking like he's doing the best he can to remember <laughs> these steps. And, uh, it's just wonderful, you know. Yeah, but um, great too. it's got an authentic Motowny feel, actually. Yes, Consider- yes. Considering it's it's put together with kind of plastic instruments, I think mm-hmm. it, I think it does a, a very very good job. I think the lo-fi treatment that they had in in Lol's basement actually helped the production on this. Actually, we could talk all night, but you won't understand. Paul, are you a fan? I'm going to have to piss on your chips or your French horn, <laughs> in Michael's case. Uh, it's, I, yeah, I can see that it was a hit, but um, I just, I'm just not that a fan of the song. I, I don't really know why. Um, I remember hearing it um, and thinking, yeah, this is going to be a hit, and 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 hoping, you know, after a couple of listens, I'd, I'd really get into it. But 
I I don't know I don't know why really it's just one of those it's that, that's a miss for me but I, I'm not surprised it was a hit and and because I'm such a big fan I was absolutely delighted that they had a second top ten hit in the UK mm. in, in a row it really established them and the video's fun um, I then then of course there's that famous bad edit <laughs> um, yeah, now the two talented funny guys from 10cc Godly and Cream listen out for the really bad edit in the middle. I knew I should have told you all I wanted was to have some fun. But it's not really an edit. It's not the edit point. It's the key change, isn't it? It's such yes. an awkward transition musically back into the verse. I think that's that's the problem rather yeah. than the, the edit itself. But I but I actually <laughs> like that. I like that transition. I, I was re-listening today actually and, and thought actually okay. that's not such a bad edit. It's just an odd point to kind of change gear, isn't it, really? Yeah, you're right. That's what it is. Yeah, um, but I have to say, Paul, I, 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 I wonder if your problem with, with Wedding Bells is that it's actually a nasty little song, isn't it, in terms of its, its sentiment? A kiss-off song? No, that, I don't have a problem with that. Um, no? and, and, a lot of, <laughs> and a lot of Motown songs, you know, which it pastiches, if you like, or pays tribute to, they're... They're pretty dark. Yeah. Um, no, I don't have a problem with the subject matter. I just it just doesn't connect as strongly as, as some of their other ones. No, well, no, I, I can see it is a light and fluffy thing, but I think yeah, it's yeah. a it's a wonderful vocal from Kev, and uh, and it's it's lovely hearing them be true to their kind of original influences. You know, the soul and the Motown and so on. It is. Do, do you remember one thing Kevin said? I don't know whether this made it to tape actually, but he he was. Uh, he was just thinking about, you know, the genres that 10TC had tackled, and he actually uh, mused that they, you know, 10TC should have done a, a Motown song, and they kind of missed the boat. Do you remember him saying that? Yes, I do. Uh, absolutely. Yeah. So that maybe that was achieving it, you know, a couple of years down the line. Sure. And Mike, how about for you? Does Wedding Bells go in one ear and out the other, and you'd, you'd rather they be do another... I pity an uh, inanimate objects. I mean, where do you stand uh, no, with it? I, I'm I'm very okay with wedding bells. It's not. I mean, it's not <laughs> the sporting life, but it has its place. You know, it's <laughs> it's an enjoyable, fun little tune. Great little video. I I liked it the first time I heard it. Again, there are some throwaways on this LP, but that's not one of them for me. Yeah, we'll, we'll come on to the throwaways because they're they're almost as interesting to talk about as the as the good stuff. I I have a confession to make that the kind of third single, um, which sort of half came out half heartedly came out, didn't it? Um, Snack attack was the first and the last rap that I ever committed to memory and could do word for word <laughs> from start you? to oh, finish. You... Yes. Oh, not the whole song, you... not the whole song, but uh, okay. but certainly the, the whole chorus. You're not going to put me on the spot tonight, are you, Paul? Yeah, come on. One, one no, you're you, not. You... Maybe, maybe I should do it later, but uh, I'll, I'll stop rolling tape <laughs> at that point. I, th- I think I, Snack I'm Attack is, is brilliant. Midnight Saturday sat in the dark, watching the ceiling falling apart. The air condition has been busted for weeks, so the smell of cooking seeps through the floor. I can't eat no more. 
Uh, and, and it's another example of, of Kev Godley as a master lyricist. And I, and, and I don't say that lightly about Snack Attack. It, I don't think it is a throwaway song about food written because he's got a, a, a bad back and has to lie on his uh, on the floor. I think it's it's genuinely brilliant wordplay. It's fun, it's catchy, um, and I'm surprised it wasn't a big hit. Yeah, with the momentum offered by the other two. Yeah. Uh, yeah, you, just now, Sean, you mentioned something about the record slipped out. Was there a problem with the release or something? I don't know. I'm not sure. I'm not sure it came out in in every market. Just call me Jack Kerouac. Click clack. Open up the hatchback. I can even build a car. Or a pack of make pound a cake, pound a cake. Big Mac. Good guy. It's a snack May I ask, uh, are you both, this is probably a stupid question, familiar with the almost like dance version of it? What? Yeah, there's a She's a guy. I'm pretty sure I could bring it up on the. Yeah, there's a a different mix to it. Okay. It's this nice pulsating. You don't you don't know what I'm talking about. I love it. I love it already, Mike. Have you got it there? You could you could send it to us. Well, I'd be happy to thread it in the podcast. I I will do that because I like it better than the original cut from the album. I don't know who did it or what. It's not drastically different. But it just has this nice get up and go to it. Yes. Uh, whereas the um, the original version, it, even though I quite I sort of like Lowell's funky bass playing that he recycles on Joey's Camel, doesn't he? Yeah, right. Uh, and I think later in the album, he's got that one funk riff that he kind of recycles throughout the album. <laughs> um, the, the drum machine is a bit weak. Um, the production's kind of it doesn't vary at all. And and I think if if I could give Ismism one big fault, it's that the dynamics never change. Everything the drum machine basically means that the tracks dribble on forever, and there's no kind of there's no dark and light. There's no loud and soft. Do you know what I mean? Mm-hmm. There, there are no moments yes, of I kind do. of. There, there are no moments of drama, and there, uh, you know, think of consequences where it goes down to almost nothing, and then will yeah. explode at you in this enormous cacophony of sound. That doesn't happen on Ismism because Lol is almost like pressing the green button on his drum machine, and then and, and pressing record, and then Kev's banging some some vocals on top. You know, I always sure. felt. Oh, I'm sorry. Go ahead. No, no, you go, Michael. You go. Oh, I, I always felt that. Uh, and I'm not sure exactly which songs they are, but uh, two of them sound like uh, exactly the same track, only slowed down. <laughs> which might be. I'm not sure what songs they are. It could be Joey's Camel. Ding 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 ding. Where uh, the other song it is, you know, ding 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 ding. It's almost the same bass line. Yeah, I think I think you're talking about Joey's Camel there. Yeah. Hey, can uh, we take two second break real quick? Of course, sure. of course. Go for it, go for it. Okay, just listen and see if I can bring this up. Did you hear that at all? Yeah, yeah, yeah. great. Yeah. You never heard that? No. No, so was, was that like by somebody else, Mike, or was it by them? Did somebody remix it's a, it? It's on YouTube. It says Godly and Cream Snack Attack official video. Okay. Uh, 
So I'll I'll send the link to you later. Please um, do. Yeah, I, that, it's, that it's sounds great. What is that like? That. Is that like um, pump up the volume, Paul? Is that where that riff comes from? I gladly sign my name in blood and give him the key to my soul. Because I can eat no more. I can eat no more. Well, I'm, I'm just wondering whether it was uh, showing the lack of research here. Was was the track sort of remixed and re-released for the American market? Because wasn't the, the the album was re, re, renamed Snack Attack, wasn't it? In in America. Correct. Correct. Right. So maybe uh, either we I guess we need to know this. Uh, either either uh, Kevin Lowell themselves or somebody else uh, did something with it. Possibly at you know at the. Uh, at the time, in 1981, 82. Mm. Mm -hmm. I think they punched it up a little bit, and it sounds really nice. The uh, American version has the uh, hamburgers on it. Have you seen that before with the yeah. weird yeah. eyes and stuff? Whereas yeah. Ismism is just the block lettering. So yes. uh, right. they maybe they did do something when they re-released it in the United States. Mm. What do you uh, think of the, the respective titles there, Michael? Ismism or Snack Attack? I'm a big fan of the title Ismism. Yeah, me too. I, I I would stick with that. That's more godly and creamish. Snack attack is yeah. Ah, hi there. <laughs> <laughs> Hello, <that> Doddy. Doddy? <laughs> waiting always... for my dogs to go at it, but they <laughs> yeah, haven't done it. Right, but we'd love to welcome them there. Yeah, for me, <laughs> Islamism is is an extremely ten cc title. It yes. it seems to be hmm. epitomise the art for art's sake ness, doesn't it? Mm. Indeed, indeed. Just one thing about the lyrics to Snack Attack. Uh, we're assuming we're falling into the, that trap that, again, I guess we often do, that we're assuming Kevin wrote all the lyrics. But what, the reason I mention it for this track is back in um, uh, a, a, an interview pre-ismism, Lowell is, I don't have the quote in front of me, but Lowell, quoted, uh, Lowell talked about being haunted by the the meat that he'd eaten outside the context of a song so oh. you know at least that part i wish i could find the source quote we'll perhaps try and dig it out later but um yeah so at least that little bit may have come from lol's brain rather than kev how's the moon sheep are bleeding i'm being haunted by all the meat i've eaten i learned from your podcasts that lol wrote englishman in new york the lyrics for that no, I well, don't. I don't think that's that's right, actually, Mike. Uh, oh, okay. We 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 said that based on a, a video we'd seen a, uh, from an Australian interview, where oh, I, I think I think Kevin Law were kind of just taking the piss a bit. They they pointed yeah. at each other to say who'd written the lyrics, but oh, it, it seems okay. to us that that Kev was was pretty much the, the lyricist behind that one. I think. Don't you think, Paul? Yeah. Uh, yeah, believe believe so. Yeah, I mean, it's interesting, isn't it? We don't really know how to assign the roles, although, um, as far as we know, Kev was the main lyricist, and, and uh, you know, and Lowell wasn't. But um, you know, I doubt, I doubt if it was as cut and dried as well, that. Well, I, I I I'm not sure about that. I for me, ismism, for me, and I, I I'm not basing this really on on any kind of research. I'm going on <laughs> yeah. on, on an instinct here. I feel that their roles are incredibly polarised now. In in the past, they'd be in the studio together building the tracks. Kev would be there with his his, his percussion and everything, conceptually mm. helping towards building the tracks. And yeah. Lowell would have been in there uh, conceptualising lyrics and so on. 
But here, I, I think Lol is, is almost 100% responsible for the tracks. And Kev <coughs> is going away and coming up with some very, very crafted lyrics, I have to say, and then and doing all but every single one of the vocals. It's almost like a, a kind of a yazoo type setup, Paul. Yes. Yeah, yeah. Where, where you've got Vince Clark doing all the tracks and production and Alison Moyer coming in and doing the vocals. Yeah. That, that's how I feel this, this dynamic's working now. Well, it might, might be a good time to bring up the, you know, the... Um, the receding of lol cream if that's a phrase because mm. he really does deliberately start to take a back seat and 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 kevin mentions this in space cake as well how mm. lol you know having been thrust to the front um uh, you know with the advent of donna really and and and, yeah. and and singles afterwards never seemed quite as happy after that and and wanted to take a bit of a, a back seat and didn't want to do any leads mm. uh so once a, you know that that all plays plays into that, I guess. Yeah, and musically, his his creations simply aren't as interesting, are they, as as on the previous albums? No, and that's because dare we say? Well, I'm saying it, they're using machines to write songs rather than the light and shade of a guitar or piano. Yes, right. Because yeah, that, I agree. Chord wise, it's so rudimentary, isn't it, compared with. Uh, certainly with with consequences and l yeah and that's it in a nutshell when you start to use machines to find a groove and write a song uh, that's inevitably the way it's going to go yeah whether you use right. machine or you know uh, paul simon went from the you know chromaticism of hearts and bones to uh using uh south american musicians that largely played they played great but they played simple chords on graceland so that's that doesn't have to be machines if the if the medium you're using is harmonically simpler mm. you're going to end up with with simpler songs and for geeks like us or at least me who loves lo lo loads of chord changes yeah well same here same here you're going to feel short change yeah and it feels like lol is riffing over a drum machine rather yes. rather than sitting down with a pad and, and pen uh, crafting chords yes each to his own and, uh, and i mean to be fair you know that the whole industry was moving that way particularly at that time hmm. mike do you think we're talking a load of old bollocks here <laughs> uh, i feel like kojak sitting in a camera <laughs> hey uh, you beat me to my rap <laughs> i gotta eat i gotta eat a flapjack yeah <laughs> very good well that's definitely kevin godley's sense of humor it seems to me lyrically yeah yep. so and he was the one uh, unable to eat because he was lying on the floor uh, oh, you know, yeah. paralysed. So, right. so I think it's, it, it's genuinely autobiographical, I think. Yeah, he'd, sli he'd slipped a disc. Let's not, he, had, he wasn't actually paralysed, was he? But, I mean, I know he had to... He, he was couldn't immobile, move, is what I mean. Yeah, he, sure. he couldn't move. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Uh, but a, a terrific song. And, and, of course, Joey's Camel is the slowed-down uh, sister uh, or brother mm -hmm. uh, of Snack Attack. Dear mother, I'm lying on a white hot blanket Wishing you were here We're a thousand miles from Cairo And it's taken us a year to get this far For years I struggled with that track, Mike. Um, I, I just thought it was boring and repetitive. And the more I listen to it, the more I'm in awe of Kev's storytelling genius. Um, I find myself singing that song when I have it on. I just, it, it just, 
talking about Joey's camel, you know. But how did you escape? I, it, it just keeps going for me in a very positive way. Can you fill us in on what's happening in that song? Like, who's the protagonist and, and who are they escaping from? Do you, do you know? I don't know. I don't know. There are, the lyrics are all over the place with that. <laughs> uh, is, is it, I so, love it. I, mean, I love it. I, I think it's a wonderful oh, yes. story. Dear mother, we found the Ten Commandments. Mother, just like I said we would. But somebody broke our compass, mother, and the water is no good. I mean, Joey's, Joey's camel is in the common le lexicon, isn't it? As basically on foot. That, that's what that phrase means. Yes. That's a first for me. I've never heard it yes, before. Yes, yeah. We, we, in, in, uh, yeah, we say Shanks' is pony as well, don't we? Meaning yeah, uh, on, on foot. But oh, is, okay. it, is it Moses or one of Moses' oppos or something what what's the deal with the tablets of stone and i i, I don't i don't right. quite get it. a lot of religious connotations in there that i just don't quite get um yeah yeah i, I i'm not sure if it's a real story i mean that the, there's bow bow kind of oh, has okay. a, for, a foreign legion sort of feel to it but he says yes. um he mentions elijah doesn't he as well it's written on the yes. sleeping dreaming of ice called beer <laughs> Dear mother, they must have thought I was Elijah or something with the beard. The, yeah. There's like I think he's mixing his his metaphors and his references to tell right. a, a shaggy dog tale. I think. Uh, yeah. I love it though. I think you know, kind of going away, nicking the Ten Commandments, try and bring them home, and then in the end, he he, he leaves the tablets behind because he's been attacked by. Bandits or something, is that right? Yeah, mother, I said that I had lost them. They were buried in the shifting sands. But they said if I didn't give them the tablets, they cut off both of my hands. Mother, how did you escape? mother. I don't know. We need it. We need a listener or a couple of listeners to to, to fill in the blanks for That's us. Right. But I I love it. It's just it for me. It's just a, a kind of similar to Lonnie in that what he's doing is, is taking a real historical context and then uh, and then creating a, a, a comic story within that historical context here you've got right. the story of a guy literally um, carrying the, the Ten Commandments on tablets of stone on his back which is yeah. a ridiculous idea but <laughs> wonderful and then with, with Lonnie you've got the same kind of thing where the, the role of the, the gunman during the JFK shooting, is replaced by the idea of a guy with a camera taking shots at him, yes. and that that for me kind of highlights um, Kev's underrated role, I think, on this album, where he went away and I think crafted some really, really clever lyrics that are built on some really original ideas. Yes. Garamon was disturbed by the face that looked back at him from the back window. He looked older than he remembered. It was as if all 42 years of his life had suddenly leapfrogged over each other and crash-landed in his face. Mike, are you, are you, with, are you with me on that one? Yes, you're so thorough that my mind is <laughs> kind of racing here a little bit, but uh, I, I couldn't agree with you more. That It's so clever. Lonnie really struck me, of course, with the JFK assassination. The first time I heard it, I thought, is this 
the guy who shoots him? <laughs> you know, is he is the guy on the grassy knoll, or what the hell's going on here? But uh, it's just Kevin being so incredibly creative. Yes. With uh, does the name Lonnie have any sort of relevance to that? To to the assassination? Is Not that I know of. Not right. uh, okay. But isn't it such a, such a wonderful idea? Isn't it to to swap the gun for the camera? Oh, fantastic! He ground the lucky strike under the heel of his boot and calmly squeezed off three shots. Lonnie put the camera back into its case and melted into the panic. I just listened to that the other day just because I wanted to hear it for no other reason than this is so <laughs> it, it, it's scary it's uh i agree as you say haunting you know yes as but, is uh, as is the problem in many ways mm-hmm. am i alone in in actually every time i play the problem for the first sort of 30 seconds or so i'm actually yes. sitting there with a mental calculator trying to work it out <laughs> if a man a who weighs 11 stone leaves from his home at 8 30 in the morning in a car consumption is 16.25 miles per gallon at an average speed of 40 miles an hour to his office which is 12 miles away and stops for a coffee on the way I think I think that was the joke. I think that's the idea. Until you, you eventually you're overloaded and you can no work, no longer work it out. Yeah. Um, Here, Mike. Here's here's a test for you as our just to kind of frighten you uh, to give you a, a baptism of fire um, on your very very first podcast with us. What is the answer to the problem? How long would it take to fill the bath? Yes. And how long would it take? I have no idea. Yes, you do. If you tra- <laughs> if, if, if you if you drudged the recesses of, of your subconscious, Paul will be able to tell you right now. Oh well, uh, well, it, it adds up to seventeen to fill an empty. Is oh. it? Ele- is it eleven and six? It is. Yeah, there oh. you go. It's eleven <laughs> seconds. Yes, my bath's about three quarters full now, so I can't hang around here for long. It takes eleven minutes to fill and six minutes to empty. By the time I have to fill it again, it will be 25 and a half minutes past 10. And I like to do a little work around then. So there you go. So all the time we were sitting there thinking, crikey, 2.86, um, 2.86 yes. sandwiches, uh, you know, sold by vendor A and, and given to passerby B yeah. on a journey from Bristol to, to Birmingham. And all the time the answer was just staring us in the face. Yeah, it's lovely to well, have. Co- it's lovely to have consequences there, isn't it? As, a, as an obvious yeah, reference, it is. I, you know, I don't think there is really an answer. There was a Radio One phone in, and I think this interview is now on our shared folder for, for subscribers. Somebody kindly uh, sent it to us. Yeah, uh, I think when his them was, you know, about, being released and they were promoting it, some uh, wise guy phoned in and asked the question <laughs> and said, how, well, how long did it take to fill the bar? And Kevin Lowell were a bit taken aback and said, oh, well, it was just a joke. There isn't an answer. They, <laughs> they backpedaled a bit. So, so I, I think it was just a joke, really. But, but it's nice that kind of Blint has a, a subliminal influence, doesn't he? Eventually? Yes, exactly. Exactly. Yeah. Are you a fan of that track, Mike? Of the problem, yeah. Uh, yes and no. I, I it, it's a math equation, so I checked out really early. So, <laughs> no, uh, no, I'm not going to go with this, and I never sat down and really tried to figure it out. But musically, yes, I'm I'm right there. Got off the train and checked the correct time. That station between 
Bristol and London and stop the phone A his boss man double check A would be there meet him and discover his mistake Catch There's a lovely a uh, kind of electro fade into the next track, isn't there? Into 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 Ralph. How long will it take to fill the back? I think that's that's wonderful. I think there's some some really nice little jokes in there, Paul. I, I love the bit. Uh, you might not pick up on this one, Mike, because it, I think it's definitely a, a a British joke about the. Yeah. The passengers in the lorries exchanging Yorkie bars. <laughs> uh, okay, yes, I'm gone on that. Do you I'm have Yorkie there, bars but... in the States? You must have manly chocolate. Uh, we do have Yorkie bars. No, I have, I've never heard that. Said. What is the, what, what, what is, is the what is the manliest chocolate bar in the States? Hershey. I don't know. There we yeah. go. There, yeah. So that's the equivalent. Yeah. If imagine a passenger in, in a truck handing I over see. this really kind of very hefty chocolate bar. Uh, okay. this, is, this is the image that Kev is painting here. Yorkie is famously very, very red-blooded. Five lorries each with a passenger, one of which exchanged a Yorkie bar weighing an ounce for 12 of the leaflets. Yorkie, five big masculine chunks of chocolate. It's not for girls. Yeah, you'd have to strap several Hershey bars together to get the right thick. Oh, I see. Yeah, it's it's, it's really thick, you know, uh, it's made made for truckers. Uh, see, this is the magic of these podcasts. I don't really even know where I found you guys and I started listening. It's like, oh, shit, I have to rediscover all of this because they're they're explaining things to me I never thought about. Or didn't uh, well, yeah, well, there you, it, we'll, we'll see you on Google later. Just look for Yorkie bar. Yeah, okay. yeah, yeah. <laughs> But uh, it, this this track, and, and I, I'm kind of secretly fond of the problem, but I'm absolutely not fond of, of the track it segues into. I think, uh, Ralph, it might be the, the worst track by any 10cc member ever. The room is ready for Ralph. The room is ready for Ralph. The room is ready, they've read it, the room. The room is ready for Ralph. Well, just before Mike chips in, I, I was listening to Ismism earlier in the week, and I thought I could remember all the tracks and I was expecting the next. And I'd completely forgotten that Ready for Ralph ever existed. And, uh, you know, I probably hadn't heard it for like nearly 40 years. But I, I guess I wasn't missing much. I can't recall it now, to be honest. <laughs> well, um, the, the lyrics say it all, really. Um, Mike, you, you'll, you'll need to rescue us here because I think it's just utter rubbish. <laughs> I'm sorry, but I have to agree. I, I really think this is a very much a throwaway. I didn't know the purpose of this song, and it's just very repetitive. Uh, I, I don't know. Did, I'll let it go. It's only like two minutes long, two and a half minutes yeah. long, but um, yeah. it never really made it any kind of an impression on me. Yeah, but that's not the point, though, is it, Mike, really? Because we we love these fellows. Yes. And and the thing is, the difference between my relationship with 10cc Mark II and my relationship with Kevin Lowell is that I have to feed even the shit tracks of Godly and Cream. I have to feed <laughs> feed through my Kevin and Lowell are geniuses filter. Oh, right, and so right. even with something as bad as Ready for Ralph, I have to. I'm sitting there feeling kind of a bit inadequate, thinking I don't get this, and that must mean that I I'm somehow intellectually inferior. Right, I, it's I must my be fault. Being, it's <laughs> my fault. It's not because it's it's boring or bad. It's because I, I don't I don't get the joke. Ready for Ralph. 
Well, I think that earlier they can do no wrong. <laughs> they really can't. I'm that enamored with them. Yes. You know. I think Kevin, having you know gone away and as you said, Sean, um, written some pretty diverse and clever lyrics, probably thought, oh, I can't be asked with this one. I'll just have the day off or something like yeah. that. Yeah. <laughs> no, I think you're right, and and the, the the same is probably true of Sale of the Century, which I think is is utter bilge as well. If they Sale of the century Would it still be there At the end of the show I agree on that <laughs> Well, um, I mean, see, it's funny As a, you know, as a 17, 18 year old When I heard this I, I hung on like grim death to Sale of the Century Because it was a song Yeah, because it had it, <laughs> what, it had Chords an and everything yeah, it had an A and a B section, yeah. and, I, and I, I felt all kind of discombobulated with the other, tr- most of the other tracks. Yeah. But I had something to grip onto. But, but in the final analysis, yeah, it's it's not really much of a song. It's kind of harks back a little bit to their kind of fifties vibes. Definitely uh, Donna you know, and that sort of thing. Yeah, yeah, Johnny don't do it and stuff. But yeah. it's, I don't know. It sounds, um, it's an odd thing to um, to reference. I mean, we should say. We should pay tribute again, Mike. I, I, I won't won't get the reference, I guess. But uh, it, just in the past week, we've lost this guy called Nicholas Parsons yes. at the age of ninety six, who was the host of Sale of the Century. It was a real quiz oh, show. Uh, okay. Unfortunately, he's 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 not name checked in person on the song, which would have improved it slightly. Um, yeah, but, yeah, he's, he's a, a hilarious guy. I mean, he's been presenting a BBC comedy program on Radio Four ever since. Um, and, until recently, Paul. I'm not sure if you're a fan of Just a Minute. Oh yeah, over. Fi- I think it holds a record for the, lo- the longest. Uh, it, he was a host of it for like yeah, uh, 900 episodes years. or something. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So, fantastic. Um, yeah, so it was nice. Yeah, and I, I, I got the same um, kind of wave of nostalgia with the title of Sale of the Century. It's a, sh- a shame the song doesn't live up to that, really. Yes. Shoo up, shoo up, ramalama ding dong. <laughs> and now, from Norwich, it's the quiz of the week. I've gone upon your left, and I've gone upon my keys on the table. Yeah, just off, and, and, and Kev's, Kev's trying that kind of pastiche of the crooner delivery, isn't he? But it, it's just rubbish. Yeah. Well, um, I think in a previous podcast, Paul may have made a comment about the film of my love not being one of your favorites. Oh, yeah. And yeah. it's kind of like that. I, I expected Sale of the Century to be something like that. I like film of my love. And it's, oh, yeah. Okay. Uh, yeah. you know, melody wise, it just sticks with me. It's just a fun, beautiful song. Sale of the Century just never clicks. Yeah. It just doesn't okay. doesn't come across. So, mm. But I love those guys. I'm sorry, but we can't stay late. So we parked in the middle of the top by the gate on the grass with the crass belts wagging the slate. Whose is it? Mine. You're kidding, it's great. Okay. okay. The party, of course, there's the snack attack riff coming out again. Mm-hmm. I like the party. It's probably my second favourite track on the album. It's um 
it's it's still based you know a, a long lean thing but it's got little um the, the little vocal arrangements are great there's a bit of one night in paris and there's 10 cc touches in there you yes. know with the harm the harmonies are a little bit more interesting when yeah. i say the heart i don't mean the chords harmonies the actual harmonies on top of the vocals lowell's more involved isn't he vocally here yeah. That, that's it, Sean. Yeah, well spotted. One star, four on the shag, dad, chic. And then you get these extra harmonies laid on top. Um, yes. Yeah, I think that's it's a great track. Um, it's funny, you know, as a 17-year-old, as a I, could, I couldn't believe that Kevin Godley was still going to parties. I mean, he was only 36. <laughs> uh, and it seems, so, it seems so old. And I was thinking, bloody hell, these guys are ancient. They should be sitting inside you know, reading a book or something, you know, but uh, but I guess you, you learn as you get older. I'm glad I didn't get an invite to this party, Paul, I have to say. that There's some absolute wankers, this this yeah. do. <laughs> You're a cocksucker, yeah, this, Michael. Michael. <laughs> what you eat, David? Well, see, I was just... <laughs> I was waiting okay. to, to use that line. <laughs> uh, I always felt like they were writing for me. Uh, art School Canteen. Uh -huh. I, I attended the Art Institute of Pittsburgh. And I was okay. like, oh, man, these guys, we have so much in common. And then the party comes out, and that's exactly that. You're a cocksucker, Michael. <laughs> you are what you, you are eat. What you eat. <laughs> yes. And I'm like... Well, let's see. That's not quite accurate. But yeah. <laughs> Did, now, didn't didn't Kevin say that all of these people were uh, in the were real people? Yeah. Yes. He, either either with us or he, I've read it somewhere. Did he say in Space Cake or somewhere? He did, no, yeah, he, he did say in Space Cake that you know the Prus, the Magoos, the Targets, and the Bedmen. Johnny Peruvian, the Marathon Man, blonde and dangerous camera. We're yeah. all we're, we're based on real people, and presumably yeah. um, Michael the cocksucker. And, uh, Dave, <laughs> yeah. and David, the other cocksucker, were, were real people. <laughs> well, yeah, fuck to get a drink around here. Yeah, yeah exactly. Yeah. But I, I, I've always been fascinated by this track, Paul, and, and it's kind of, it's, it's there on a knife edge for me between being a track that I love and a track that I hate. Um, but right. but there, it's a very fascinating thing, I think. I like the fact that, that Kev plays himself in the track. Um, right. And he, you hear him speak in a Manchester accent. By the way, here's your present. Thanks very much. Yes, I knew you were going to say that. You like that early track, uh, Easy Life, is it called, where he, he also speaks in a, in a uh, sings in a Manchester accent. I, I like I that's like right, and, and it's very odd because he, he he sings in an American accent on almost every every track he's ever recorded. Yes, uh, yes. And then you get these little flashes of Kev being himself. This lad from Manchester, and, and suddenly yeah, we, we hear him enough. kind of in, in in his in his honest form, and I think that's really really sweet. I do like the arc of the party as well. You know, the the, the people who arrive first, then there's all the lots of people arrive, and then you and then you're left in the toilet at the end. It's quite funny where he's he's stuck in the toilet with Rick, and then Rick, <laughs> Rick buggers off when Kev starts to throw up. It's uh, you know, it's, it's 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 pretty it's pretty humorous. I love you, Ben. Let me count the ways. Whoops, here comes the spaghetti bolognese. There's only two songs I can think of that that actually include someone being sick. Do you know the other one? The other one I'm thinking of. No. Any idea, Mike? It, it's, no, a, it's an American band, I think. They're a punk band from around this time. 
uh, early 80s, possibly late 70s, uh, The Dead Kennedys. I've heard of The Dead Kennedys. Yeah, they had, a, they had a song that was on at all of the parties that, that we used to go to at school. Where I'd, I'd be in the Genesis club and, and, and we had a couple of, of token punks and they'd always bring this Dead Kennedys record along and they put this record on repeat and it was Too Drunk to Fuck. Um, <laughs> uh, which has the sound of a guy actually honking into a toilet at the end. <laughs> so for me, the party and too drunk to fuck are kind of indelibly linked in my mind. That's I not understand that. Yeah. Yeah, it's a lovely image, isn't it? <laughs> Yeah, better than cocksucker, Michael. Yeah. So, do you like do you like party as a track apart from relating to it, uh, Mike? Um, I do. I do very much so. It's very interesting. Mm. And I, as you say, the people coming in and uh, the crass Volkswagen and uh, you know, it's very interesting stuff. So who else writes like that? You know, that's all I can say. Who else you writes like this? Well, yeah, you're right. You're nobody. Right, nobody. Nobody, nobody, yeah. That's why I love them so much. Yeah. You can you can really see the party, can't you? You can you can see the, <laughs> the arty circles that they that they mix in. Yes. Um, and, oh. and and yet there's honesty as well where you know Sue, his wife, is mentioned. Oh really? I did, where's that? Where's uh, um, hello, Susan, yeah. darling. You look divine. Oh, that's nice. And, and yeah, I yeah, think yeah. that's really nice. You know, it's, it's again our impression of of, of Kev Paul from meeting him. I was expecting him to be a bit pretentious and up himself, but he was yes. he was the opposite of that. He was very very grounded, uh, extremely amicable, down to earth, friendly, charming. Yes. Yeah. He was. He was completely down to earth, wasn't he? But dare we say, very Manchester, wasn't he? Yeah, very. Well, and, and the party I really is it, envy. No, go on. Sorry, I, Mike, I'm, I'm interrupting. Well, I was just going to say, I again. so envy the fact that you got to sit down with Kevin Godley, He's right uh, across I, the table from you. That's a uh, big was, deal to me. Yeah, it was fantastic. But he, honestly, he put you so much at your ease, yeah. didn't he, Sean? Yeah, he, totally. I, my memory of it and my experience of it at the time were, were kind of halfway between being completely surreal. Yeah. Because shit, we're in the same room as Kevin. Yeah. And, yeah. Yet, and yet thinking, how is this so normal? We're sitting on this settee, this sofa, chatting to this bloke. And it, it was completely normal. It wow. was. And, and he, and to, to have six hours with him, honestly, Mike, it was it's incredible. He, yeah, I mean, we've been completely spoiled because if we do ever get to interview anybody else, we'll probably never have anything like that level of access. You know, I it, would have been so starstruck. I, I, I would be looking at this man thinking of all the work <laughs> he has done. Mm. And I don't I know. know if I could even form a question. You would have, like, no, I, Michael. You would have. You would have. We yeah, we were the same. He, we were. He, yeah, and I think it was him really putting us. I mean, he could he could have just been slightly off, and it would have really put us off, wouldn't it, Sean? But he yes. really wasn't at, at any point, you know. Yeah. Oh, he came off very charming. Yeah, very genuine. Oh, yeah, completely, honestly. And and when he was exactly the same when the tape wasn't rolling, he really was. There was no side to him whatsoever. Yeah, he didn't. He, he didn't change. He was just a, a very extremely self-possessed and very normal yeah yeah 
I also love about the party that Kev seems to be, I don't know, being self-deprecating when he's talking to the, the party guest who's taking the piss out of Godly and Cream as an act and saying, oh, I wish you'd do stuff like I'm not in Paris and the Dean and me. Oh yeah, 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 and, uh, brilliant. And, uh, yeah, uh, brilliant. and, uh, and uh, I think your stuff's just too avant avant-garde and butch. And I love mm-hmm. that. That that is that takes a lot of guts to be that self-referential and that self-deprecating, yes. don't you think? But forget about this video, right? Write yourselves a hit or three, like I'm not in Paris of the Dean me. I mean, really, I don't like your stuff very much. It's too avant-garde and aggressive and butch. Yeah, agree. Particularly since they weren't having any hits. Mm. I mean, when they wrote that, when they wrote that song, they can't have known that "Under Your Thumb" and "Wedding Bells" were going to be hits. So it was, it was really, really brave. Absolutely. So uh, that that really, really tickles me. And also, I, I I think there's a bit of secret real percussion played by by Kev on this track. You know how the rest uh-huh. of the album seems to be completely drum machine. Yes. I think there's a, a bit of a cheeky art for art's sake cowbell. On, the, on this track, <laughs> and it just yeah maybe that that was the only percussion instrument that there was room in the studio for, you know he couldn't he couldn't get his kit in there so he, he could just bring his cowbell in so I, I, that, <laughs> uh, that that amuses me and and the champagne corks as well um, yeah are just so champagne. cheesy yeah. <laughs> Yeah, a, a little throwback to the fireworks of consequences. Uh, a much less, a much less dangerous, uh, real kind of uh, field recording, perhaps. Yeah, I'm not. I'm not sure. I think it's much more tacky than that, Paul. I think it's on 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 Lowell's, probably on one of the novelty settings on his on his synth. To be honest, oh, that one. Oh, would it? Oh, that's a shame. I'd that's love it shame. to. Be, I'd love it to be from fireworks. How late would man be in arriving at the office by 9.30 if he still has six miles to travel and his watch was running 23 minutes slow? And those champagne corks are used as a kind of percussion effect on the problem. And I wonder if that was the first time that Godly and Cream had actually used a sampler. Not that uh, you two are obviously right. interested in that kind of thing, but I, but I am. <laughs> I, 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 I like sort Is of tracking their, their kind of use of technology. Obviously on, on the history mix, which we'll come on to another time, that's all about sample. Yeah, yeah. And here that it's kind of basic synths and basic drum machine, but I think there's hints of them using samplers for the first time. Where would they have? Where would they have gone from? The, the Fairlight wasn't that the first sampler, and I thought that was kind of a little bit later. I seem to remember Kate Bush and Peter Gabriel had some of the first versions of those things, and that was '82, was it not? It was around just slightly before that. So yeah, I'd be I'd be surprised if if Lowell would be in that kind of that group of musicians who could afford to get their hands on one because it was it was incredibly expensive, wasn't it? 15 grand or something. It was, it was. Yeah, but, yeah. The, but those corks sound sampled to me, and it might be um, recordings that they've, they've sped up. Yeah, it could still be good old analogue recording mm. and, and, you know, cut and pasted in. Yeah, yeah, one for the, the jury to consider. We wait um, breathless in, in anticipation. <laughs> one which stopped at four stations on the way for six minutes each stop was an express train. Desert Island, Mike, 
gun to your head, what's 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 your absolute highlight of of the Ismism album? Ooh, I have to think about that for a second. The best yeah, song on it? Yeah, probably Snack Attack. Okay. Wow. Wow. Why is that? It's so interesting uh, lyrically, and <laughs> I like to think I know all the lyrics. Um, but comparing it to, with the rest of the album, it's pretty easy for me there. Um, yeah, and I have to go with Snack Attack on that one. Under Your Thumb, number two. Yeah. Right. Yeah, I think right but Paul and I, we're probably Under Your Thumb first, aren't we? Oh, that's, that's way ahead, yeah. Yeah, me, I, I, yeah, but I, I've always loved Snack Attack. And uh, if we could... We won't be able to do this, Mike. It would be lovely to, to, for the three of, three of us to do a, a synchronised rap on the chorus of Snack Attack. But, of course, we'll all be about eight seconds behind each other. The air condition has been busted for weeks so the smell of cooking seeps through the floor. I can't eat no more. Really enjoyed that, chaps. Thank you ever so much, Michael, for, for joining us on this and really looking forward to getting stuck into what I think is Godly and Cream's best album of the 80s in Birds of Prey. Whoa! Whoa! That's that's a big statement. Well, yeah, and it's a, in my opinion, a big album. So can't wait, chaps. Thank you so much. Interesting. Interesting. Okay. Hey, thanks. Thank you. See you next week. All right. Gosh, Burger Chef, it's Wolf Burger, the werewolf. Where can I get delicious burgers? Where can I get fun, fun food? Where, oh, where? At Burger Chef. Jack sitting in the Cadillac. I gotta eat. I gotta eat a flapjack stack. Crack the six pack jack. Just call me Jack Kerouac. Click clack. Open up a hatchback. I could eat a bubble car or a pack of mac. Patty cake, patty cake, big mac. Good God, it's a snack attack. been listening to the consequences podcast produced by paul mcnulty and sean mccreevy thanks for listening